Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your gracious, merciful interaction with us, your people. We thank you, O oh God, for your gracious and merciful interaction with the world. And we ask, O oh God, in these moments that you would help us tune our hearts to you, that we might hear your voice, that we might know your heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's lesson describes the encounter of Jesus with the man overcome by an unclean spirit. Notably, it's the most extended narrative of demonic possession in the Gospels. It immediately, immediately follows the story of the stilling of the wind and the waves during a significant storm on the Sea of Galilee. In a storm-tossed boat, captained by skilled sailors and fishermen of the small inland sea, they discover even the winds and the waves obey him. Remarkably significant is that the one show of power by Jesus, by stilling the winds and the waves, will be followed by another. At first hearing, the demonic story is engaging in its content, yet terrifying and repulsive in its details. A madman approaches Jesus. This man lives in the tombs outside of town. The people that know him have tried their best to keep him from harming himself and others by restrain, restraining him in change, but to no avail. According to the account, he is possessed by an unclean spirit. The man himself is not only ritually unclean, but the entity that owns him is unclean. Stepping back from the text, I admit I have a hard time weighing the story as a person who is acquainted with science and modern medicine and bits of pieces of charismatic experience. I grew up, my first conversion experience was in the charismatic world. I was taught many things, some helpful and some not, in that season of my life in the church. And so I've come a long way since that time, but I still have those stories rumbling around in my head and those teachings that have kind of shaped who I am and my understanding. But I also have a fair number of experiences that tell me other things about such encounters. So I have all that, like I would guess maybe some of you do too. So I can only imagine 
what it might be to encounter a man such as this based on my real life experience. I don't, I don't know what Mark is actually talking about, but I can imagine what he's talking about. To honestly face a possessed man, I think I would be scared. I would probably choose to avoid the place where he lived. If I saw him, my impulse would be to turn and run away. I mean, that, honestly, that would be my impulse. I would feel overwhelmed, and I would not know what to do. But the story tells us that Jesus does. The story tells us that the man possessed by the unclean spirits greets Jesus and his disciples as they get off the boat. A few sentences later, if you're actually reading the text, the man is portrayed as running to Jesus from a distance. So there's a little bit of a jumble in the narrative telling of the story. So he actually comes to Jesus twice. The distressed gentleman, kneeling down at Jesus' feet, proclaims, Jesus, Son of the Most High, what do you want with me? For God's sake, I beg you, don't punish me. Jesus retorts, evil spirit, come out of this man. Evil spirit, come out of this man. Talk about a power encounter. I imagine a lot of yelling and screaming back and forth, and then a question emerges. Jesus asks, what is your name? What's your name? Surprisingly, the answer is mob or legion, not Ananias or Cornelius or some other common name of the time. Not wanting to have to leave the region, the legion, the legion, think Roman occupation, legion, you know, it's like, think context, the name is legion. Not wanting to leave the region, the legion, which one commentator describes as a multi-form demon, don't ask me what that is, but <laughs> I don't want to know, um, begs Jesus not to order them out. So instead, as the text tells us, verses 11 through 13, there was a large herd of pigs nearby feeding on a hillside. So the spirits begged Jesus, send us to the pigs and let us go into them. He let them go, and the evil spirits went out of the man and entered the pigs. The whole herd, about 2,000 pigs in all, rushed down the side of the cliff into the lake and were drowned. Uh, I don't know what this is. Pretty dramatic, and that's a lot of pigs. That's a lot of pigs. <laughs> but a stillness surrounds the story's ending. We are told the man is released from bondage, clothed and in his right mind, instructed by Jesus to go and tell others of what has happened. 
if we look at the scripture as a whole, the Old and New Testament, we do not find a well-developed or consistent demonology. So if you look at the whole tracing, there's not a well-developed or consistent demonology. Some theologians would posit that this is because of Israel's confidence in the sovereignty of Yahweh, that none is needed. Whether or not this was a conscious choice, the posture rings true. So if you read the Old Testament, you just don't find it. I mean, there's little bits and pieces, but you don't find a consistent demonology that you go, huh. Why concentrate on defining evil spirits when our good God is revealed and known? I mean, why? I think the Old Testament would testify to this. Yet, the gospel writer Mark uses the foil of the encounter with demons to point to the identity of Jesus the Messiah. So Mark does this. The unclean spirits in Mark recognize who who Jesus is before the people do. gets curious and curiouser as you dig into this. An early church father, Gregory Nassizen, which I don't know how to say where he's from, writes, it is one who is truly man and truly God that demons instantaneously recognize with dread. Jesus conversely rebukes, muzzles, and commands demons as a form of battle with Satan, the archdemon himself. Quote, Even if a whole army of demons take up residence in a single body, the Redeemer can transform human misery into soundness, declares another church father, Ephraim the Syrian. I read that again because I really like this quote. Even if a whole army of demons takes up residence in a single body, the Redeemer can transform human misery into soundness. Whoa, stand in that. God is good and omnipotent. The devil is is neither. God is the creator. The evil one is but a fallen created being. Now that we can find in the scripture. Even though the, the night may be long, the dawn will come because the dark is not dark to God. I think it's important not to get lost in the task of looking for a demon behind every bush, as some have done, or Uh, assigning unwanted blame to evil forces that is captured in the phrase, the devil made me do it. I mean, you you can fall into deep holes using any of those as your approach to life. Yet, church history is full of accounts, encounters with that which, which they and we would name as evil spirits. From the ancient desert fathers and mothers, the medieval monastics and mystics, the modern-day charismatics and Pentecostals, even the social activists and racial reconcilers all talk and battle demons, whether they be personal or systemic. So we find this language 
used a lot. People who are not afraid to speak frankly and candidly about their experiences and to name it as such. For example, Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Roman Catholic Jesuit order in the 16th century, introduced and developed the practice of discernment of spirits, good and evil. I mean, there's, this is a known practice. His proven approach is one that spiritual directors and pastoral caregivers of many traditions still recognize as vital to their work with people as they desire to listen and seek God. Others who minister in marginalized populations or in countries not our own have stories to tell. They have stories to tell. Their particular interpretation of an event or an encounter sometimes may seem to be only in the realm of folklore and myth to our outsiders' ears, but who's to know for sure? Still, there would be an insistence of reality that can be identified for them near to what the gospel story tells us today. I wonder how, how a story like this fits into our own personal understandings of the spiritual world. I wonder. Does it help to expand our openness to, what, to that which is unseen? Or does it shut it down? You must be kidding. Pigs? Demons? A tomb? Jesus yelling? A man yelling back? <clears throat> or does it, or do you ask the question, is there more to our world than what we see? So what is this story about? What is it about? I also wonder how a story like, like this invites us to consider how we may dehumanize people and put them outside the edges of town when we do not understand or like their mad behavior. I wonder. I wonder. There's a lots of vulnerability in this story. There's so much vulnerability. We don't usually talk about it as vulnerability, but there's vulnerability. It sounds like the people that knew him wanted him to be safe, but they didn't know what to do. You know, if we touch the edges of that for ourselves, you know, we hit those situations in our own lives, I don't know what to do. Okay, I'll put you in irons and you get out of those and blah. I mean, I'm... I'm, stories are coming to mind even as I say this. They tried to love him well. They tried. I'm sure there was some frustration and some other crazy emotions like, ah, but they were vulnerable in their interaction. They tried. They did try but they didn't know what to do, and so he is cast out into the edges, into the tombs. Think metaphorically there. Into the tombs. He's in the tombs. He lives in the tombs. But where are the places where we, you know, maybe not cast people into tombs? 
but that that feeling of vulnerability and the trying and the even when we see someone we don't know so well how we kind of push them over there less than because we don't understand so i wonder how the story invites us to think about those things so the spiritual world what do we think about the spiritual world what do we think about people how are the ways that we might be not i wouldn't even say intentionally but we just kind of naturally dehumanize push people away when we don't understand their mad behavior i also wonder if we actually believe i wonder if we actually believe the marvelous promise of salvation and he- healing that is embedded in Ephraim of the Syrian's words when he says even a whole army of demons take even if a whole army of demons takes up residence in a single body the redeemer can transform human misery into soundness i wonder what we think about that do we believe that and then what does that look like the lesson today has has much for us i think you know we have histories and things we've been taught and experiences that we've had and as we come to the text today how are we thinking about this now so some of what the lesson says can be fascinating and we can just think about it all that we want and some of it can be fantastical and we can push it away <laughs> but what do you think and believe about demons what do you think how does your functional theology inform your interaction with others who might live among the tombs and what might jesus say to us today about the text if he were here in the room what would he say okay i'm going to do something we haven't done in a while find somebody and talk about it for the next 3 or 4 minutes find somebody and talk about it go go how would you answer these questions And if you don't have a functional theology, then just say that. There's no right answer about this. It's just talk about it.
Well, thank you all for participating in the conversation. I'm sure there's much more that can be said to each other in this whole topic, but I hope this um, has been a, a fruitful place of kind of opening the, our hearts to what this text might mean for us in this here and now place. I'd like to end our, um, this time of this time in our worship with a return to the psalm. So if you could look at your um, bulletin. And it's just the call in, the, in response. And I just I, I want us to do it, um, to, to pray it a couple times as the kids probably will enter the room. So I will, I will be the voices and you be the all. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are here among us and your presence is active in our lives and our, in our worlds. Teach us, O oh Lord, um, to embrace our own vulnerability as we come near to those who are outside the town living among the tombs. We ask this, O oh Jesus, in your son's name. Amen.